At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you guys on this snowy Sunday morning. I have to say that you are the brave ones, um, the committed ones. A little bit of extra holiness for you to, you know, drive through this weather to get here this morning because it was a little dicey this morning, wasn't it? I thought it was. I mean, at 7 o'clock, 7.30 when I left, it was, that road was... It wasn't fun. But anyway, thanks for coming out here. It is, uh, it is a uh, privilege, I guess, to be able to bring the word of God to you. This is new. Um, um, Winston was right. This is weird. I'm used to having a table, so hopefully my water doesn't fall off. Um, it's weird. So those of you that know me um, know this about me. I love the book of James. It is one of my favorite books, period. In fact, I was talking to one of my best friends this week. He's like, what are you guys up to this weekend? And I said, well, I'm preaching on Sunday, so just kind of laying low. And he, go, and he goes to the Romeo campus, and he's like, oh, James, huh? So are you even going to prepare? Because that's how much I love it. I'm like, obviously, I'm going to prepare. He was being funny about it. But that's how much I just love this book. In fact, five years ago, I think I spent an entire year, every sermon that I you know, listened to, every single pastor I listened to on podcasts, it seemed to be like they were in the book of James that year. And so it was like an entire year of multiple pastors and studies in this book. And this is why, this is why I like James, okay? He's a younger brother. So am I, okay? I'm the youngest. So if you're a younger brother, you know what I'm talking about. If you're an older brother, you have no idea, right? If you're the oldest, shame on you for what you did to your younger brothers. But I'm a younger brother, just like James is. So James is Jesus's little brother, right? He's his half-brother. So they have the same mom, but different dads. James's dad is Joseph, and Jesus's dad is God, exactly. Right, good. We're good. We're doing good this morning. We're awake, right? So they have different dads. And so I always, it intrigues me when an older brother can convince a younger brother of something, period. Because I have an older brother. I have two of them. I've learned over the last 40 years. I don't trust them, okay? I love them. In fact, those of you again who know me, like I see Ray over there laughing, he knows my brother George. He's one of my best friends. I do life with him. We work together. We do life together. I don't trust him. You know, like he, he brings a cup of water over to me or he brings a cup and he's like, hey, with that smile on his face, you should try this. Yeah, okay, yeah. No, 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 seriously, it's really good, try it. Like, I'm not gonna try it. Here, you need to smell this. <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna smell it. I know, I've learned over the last 40 plus years, I don't trust him that way. But yet here we stand, James, Jesus' little brother, right? And he believes at this moment here that his brother is God right? And that wasn't always the case. He didn't always believe it wasn't this thing like, oh, like as you're growing up, like, yeah, my, my, my brother Jesus, like he's the son of God. Like he, he didn't believe that. If you go with me to the book of John, right? In the Feast of the Booths, it's John chapter seven. We don't have to flip there right away. I'll just kind of explain. It's the Feast of the Booths. It's, you know, the Jewish, the Jewish culture, they love these feasts, right? And so they're going to this feast and his brothers basically tell him this, don't go. They're trying to kill you. Don't go, right? Why? Because they're going to kill you. And they didn't believe. In fact, John even says it. They didn't believe that he was who he said he was. His brothers didn't believe in him. But somewhere after his death and resurrection, James began to believe that his older brother was the son of God. And we know that because this, this is how he writes it. James chapter one, verse one. 
It says, James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if you can convince your little brother to say that about you, there's something true about it, right? I'm just gonna say that because my brother, you never get that from me with my brothers. It just wouldn't happen. And so who is James? He's Jesus' little brother. We know he's a pastor. He's a pastor in Jerusalem, right? Relatively large church. So this book is, he's predominantly writing to, to, Jew, to Jews, converted to Christianity, okay? So we know that about him, that he's writing that. And we know ultimately this, that in, at the end of his days, he ended up dying because of who he believed his brother was. In fact, the death was this, that they took him out to one of the higher buildings in Jerusalem and they pushed him off. And he didn't die, so they stoned him to make sure that he was gone, right? So if you're willing to do that for your brother, because you believe that he is the son of God, again, you gotta give it some clout. And James knows his congregation, right? He knows who he's writing to. He's writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, right? So what does that mean? It means this, that when Jesus was on earth, people began to follow him. And when he died, the leaders, as they crucified him, assumed that it would just die off, but instead it gained more, more speed. Add in the resurrection in the 40 days that he was here on the earth, showing himself to person after person after person, more speed, right? More people began to believe in this Jesus was the son of the most high God. He was who he said he was. Acts chapter two, the church explodes. Thousands of people converted to Christianity. They had to make it stop. The leaders were furious. They were scared. So what'd they do? They started the persecution of the Christian church. And so what did the Christians do? They dispersed. They went to the little cities and they had these little secret churches, right? And so James, knowing this, knowing what they're going through, and not much different than what we have today is he knew this. You have the haves and the have-nots. And back then, I mean, we have middle class still for now, right? But like back then, it was just you have and you don't have. That's it. Nothing in between. And so James is writing to those people. He's writing and helping, helping them understand that, listen, it's not going to be easy. Putting your faith in Jesus is not going to be easy. And, and it writes in, in, in verse 2, right? Count it all joy. I love that, right? Count it all joy when you go through trials of various kinds. Like, it's not supposed to be a happy time when bad things happen to you. I understand that's difficult. But as Christians, we are to find this, you know, this joy in knowing that it creates what? Steadfastness. It creates perseverance. Because it's not meant to be easy. It's only to get harder and harder and harder. The more you put your faith in Christ, the, the more you do that, the harder it's going to get. So if somebody's told you otherwise, you need to read the Bible because in here it doesn't say anything about being easy. It's difficult. Count it all joy when you go through trials of various kinds. Know that. And he continues on because, hey, if you don't understand why you're going through those trials, if things are difficult, you don't understand it, what do you do? Winston said last week, ask. Ask God for wisdom. Right? It's very practical. I love it. Practical, non, like no-nonsense Pastor James. Love it. That's why we, he and I just vibe together. Right? Ask God. If you don't understand, ask. Why? Because he gives abundantly to those who ask. Not, not like, hey, can I have a big house and, and a Ferrari? Right? Like, God, I don't understand what I'm going through. Will you please help me understand it? He's going to give you that wisdom to help you get through it. And he continues down, and this is where we're going to kind of camp out today. Right? And we're going to camp out in verse 9 through 11. Right, that's going to be kind of like where we're at because he gets very practical here, right? So he, he talks about going through trials, ask God, and then he hits it home. He's like, listen, now it's that do and don't kinds of things. And, and, and again, I, my brain works that way. Do's and don'ts help me understand, and that's why I think James really kind of helped me. And so this is what this 
passage is saying, right? And here's our big idea, that mature faith puts possessions in their proper place. That's what we're gonna see today. That true, like, true mature faith, that we put our possessions where they belong. We put them in their proper place. So the stuff that we have, right, in this world, right, we have to put them in their proper place. It's because it's not about possessions, it's about Jesus. And we're gonna see what James has to say about that. And so he says in verse nine, he says this, let the lowly boast in his exaltation. Super, super easy verse right there. Let the lowly boast in his exaltation. So point number one is this. In Christ, poverty does not define us. In Christ, poverty doesn't define us. And again, it's, it's an easy thing to say, right? Like if you have stuff, if you, if you do well for yourself, go, hey man, just if, if you don't have, it's, it's not a big deal. You know, it's, it doesn't define you. I understand that that's like, it's easy to say that, those things, but James is gonna break it down for us what it means to, ex- to, be, to boast in exaltation. The idea of lowly, oftentimes read in the Bible, is meant poverty, right? Like no money, like poor. And James doesn't use that. That word poverty, the poor idea, right? It, it's the word tokos, which means just poor. And James doesn't use that word. He uses tepinas, which is low not only in financial spots, but also in spirit as well, right? So it's, it's this idea of being low. Like when you don't have, oftentimes that brings you closer to Christ, Right? Um, one, of my, one of my best friends, he, he has a story. It, it's a great story when he tells it. Um, I can't tell it nearly as well as him, but he will say this oftentimes. He will say, I've never been more close to Christ than when I had nothing. And his story was getting out of college, trying to get a degree, all that kind of stuff, did it. He was sitting on his porch in his apartment with his dog with a thing of ramen noodles. He couldn't afford the apartment. He couldn't afford dog food. Him and his dog were going to share this thing of ramen noodles. And, and, and the, the, the prayer, the, the, the sweating of, of blood, because you're like, I have nothing, God, but at least I have you. Like, I have you at that moment. And like, he will say it over and over again. Anytime I've heard him speak about it, you can feel it radiate from him. Never was I closer to Christ than in that moment of nothingness. And so what James is saying here, in those lowly moments, boast in knowing that you have Jesus. Boast in that. And the idea, the concept of boasting isn't new. James is pulling it from Jeremiah. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to Jeremiah, Jeremiah um, chapter 9. And I do this. I don't, I purposely, um, oh, they have it. Wow. I purposely don't give them my verses because I want you guys to flip there. Sorry, like I'm old school that way, but somehow they read my mind and got this one. Okay. So here's Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. This is what the Lord is saying to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this that he understand and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, I delight, declares the Lord. Do you understand? Like boasting in him, not in our stuff. And so oftentimes, it's easy to boast in who we are here on earth. Our stuff cannot define who we are. Our social status cannot define who we are. Our relationship with Christ has to define us. And I don't know where this idea has changed. 
right? My fear is always this for our church, that the outside world has infiltrated us, not the other way around. I, my, that's always my fear with us, that we allow them to control us. Like this idea that like all of a sudden, like more stuff is better. Where I stand, the house that I live in, the cars that I drive, the clothes that I wear somehow matters in the grand scheme of our relationship with Jesus. And the bottom line is over and over and over, and I can say that word a ton, in the Bible it says it does not define us. It cannot. Who we are in Christ has to. Paul says it this way. I love Paul in Corinthians. And if you know what Paul did for the church of Corinth, he started that church. He developed it. He grew it and let it blossom. And then he left it in the hands of very adequate people. But over time, the super apostles, as they call them, kind of infiltrated it and started bad-mouthing Paul and started saying, well, it's not just about repent and believe and follow Christ. There's certain things you have to do in order to be saved. And, and Paul writes this over and over, like, stop it. And at the end of, of 2 Corinthians in, in chapter 12, he writes this, and it's, it's this moment of weakness for him, but yet brilliance. Read with me in, in, in verse 9 of chapter 12. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And here's what Paul responds to what God just told him. <clears throat> Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, he is made strong. It's a beautiful moment there where Paul realizes that it's not about him. It's not about where he stands with the Corinth church. It's about who he is in Christ. It's a beautiful thing, and James reiterates it over again. Let the lowly boast in his exaltation. And then he follows through with point number two here, that our prosperity doesn't define us either. It shouldn't, it can't, we'd allow it to, but James is saying, stop it. And read what he says with me. I'll read verse nine and then go right into verse 10 too. It says, let the lowly boast in his exultation. And verse 10 says, and the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Do you feel that? The weight of what that means. That when we pursue the things of this world, it fades, it goes away. So why do we continue to do it? Why is this American dream infiltrated the church of bigger, better, faster, more, more, more? Why have we allowed that to? And over and over and over again, the Bible says, Jesus says, James says, stop it. Where you're at in Christ is enough. Stop pursuing the things of this world because why? They fade away. And it's so hard because again, we love it. I'm guilty of it. I know I am. God did this for me. He gave me a wife that stuff doesn't matter to. Because if it wasn't for her, I'd be, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I'd work day and night to have more money than I ever will need to have a big enough house that I don't need with a car, with a garage full of really fast cars. 
that's who I am outside of Christ. Hear my heart, right? But, but Jesus changed that for me. Like I could tell you every car that I would have in that garage. And I have two of them, why not? If I work that hard, let's just do it. That's the American dream. And then at the end of the day, retire, live on an island somewhere up north in a lake house. Beautiful, like I'm good. That's not what this book says. It doesn't say retirement thing in here. Well, I mean, I, I'm all for retirement, right? We, a lot of us work hard. Getting to the end of that and being able to retire, I love that idea. We do not retire from Christianity. Right? We can't retire down in Florida in, a, in our oceanfront house and just not talk to anybody. That's not what God calls us to do. We are to continually live for him in work, out of work, up north, down here, wherever we're at in our walk. That's where we have to be in Christ, always. Retirement's not an option, but we've allowed this. Again, I hate blasting the American dream because I, I want to live the American dream, but that's the reality. Is it's not in here. Nowhere does James say, and then live the American dream and happily ever after. We do this to ourselves, and, and, and James says it, and Paul says it, and more importantly, Jesus says it. Jesus talks about it all the time. The rich young ruler in Matthew chapter, where did I write it? Matthew chapter 19. We read that. He comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to get to heaven? And what does Jesus say? Follow these commandments. Which ones? He lists them out. What did the young man say? He's like, that I've done. I followed those. I'm good, right? Jesus, knowing his heart, said, go sell all your possessions and come and follow me. And what did he do? He went away sad. Why? Because he had great things. Again, it's not wrong to have things. It's the pursuit of only those things. It's when that's all we're after is stuff. That's where we get in trouble. Like, why do we do that to ourselves continually? And what does Jesus say at, at the end of that? It's easier for, the, for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. He doesn't say it's impossible. And if you've ever seen a picture of what the eye of the needle looks like, I don't think it's physically possible for a camel to get through there. I don't know. Like, are they squirrels? I don't know much about camels. Do they squish and get through, right? I don't know that. It doesn't look like it's very possible. And yet Jesus says it's easier for that to happen than it is. Why? Because all we do is pursue riches and not him. And when we're constantly pursuing stuff, we, we forget about who we are in Christ. And, and James is saying, stop it. Stop pursuing stuff and start pursuing me. I mean, even the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Over and over and over again, we hear these things. And I ask, why do we do it to ourselves? Like if Jesus were standing right here, right now and said, go sell it all and come follow me. I mean, Maybe if it was Jesus, right? Because we, we, we know, like maybe we would do it. It'd be tough though, wouldn't it? Like, hey, come follow me. We're going for a walk. We're going to walk. I'm like, where are we going? It doesn't matter. We're just going for a walk. Jesus, it's snowing in six degrees outside. I have a truck with heated seats and a heated steering wheel. We'll go wherever we want, bro. Let's do this. Right? That's not what he's calling us to do. He's saying, get rid of it. Stop it. Stop pursuing those worldly things and come and follow me. That's what he's asking us to do. Could we do it? And again, if Jesus were doing it, okay, maybe, because maybe, like, let's be honest, if Jesus were standing right here, I'd probably do it, because it's him. And he'd probably, you know, like it's, but what if the Holy Spirit's telling you to do that? 
Like, what if he's telling you right now? Like, what if he's telling you, stop it. Stop pursuing those things. Put those things aside. Start following me. Right? But we do, we, what we've done to ourselves is we've bought houses that are way too big that, that we have to work so hard to pay for, two brand new cars, and again, guilty, right? I like a heated steering wheel. My hands, they get a little cold, right? Um, but I tell Laura this all the time when I complain that I have to get something fixed on my first world problems, right? But what happens when we have those things, what do we do? We have to work harder. Why? To afford that stuff, right? So what happens when you make more money? You buy more stuff. What happens when you buy more stuff? You need to make more money. So what happens then? You just make more money, you buy more stuff. And the things that we own begin to own us. And we can't focus on the next point, which the next point is this, that in Christ, people are more valuable than possessions. And we've left that. We just have. It's a scary thing. Because what Paul's, what James rather is going to write here in the end of it, he finished this, this, this um, chapter with this in verse 27. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We good? All right, amen. See you tomorrow. See you next week. Super easy, right? It's super easy to go do those things. But when our stuff owns us, it's more and more difficult to do those things. And what James is saying here, understand who he's speaking to or of, right? When he's speaking of orphans and widows, in this context, it is the lowest of the lows. If you were a widow back then, you had nothing. If your parents were to die, there was a really good chance that you had some debt because of that. And if you didn't have debt, you were about to incur it because somebody was going to take all your stuff. And nobody would stop them. Nobody would stop them. And so what happened is a, a, a wealthy man or woman would come by and be like, hey, I know you're in a lot of debt. Listen, I'm going to help you pay that debt off. I'm going to pay it off. You come work for me. 60% interest, no big deal, right? I'll give you a place to sleep, one meal a day. You work it off. We'll make it happen. Sound like a plan? Takes advantage of the orphans because they have no one to protect them. And if you were a widow, way worse, right? If your husband died and you didn't have sons to take care of you, it was a free-for-all. Nobody would stop it. Anybody? The, the Romans did not care about the Jews. Could care less about us, about them. Didn't care. The Jews didn't care about these people because they were Christ's followers, so they were outside the fold too. Nobody would protect you. Everything goes away. James is speaking of the lowliest of lows, and the words that he uses, if you go back and read, it's not just go visit them, it's take care of. That's how it's written. Take care of them. Right? We are to take care of the widows and the orphans. That's where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to camp out there. But listen, if you're too busy working and spending all your money on stuff, you can't take care of them. You can't. There's nothing left over at the end of the day. You're too busy. Your money's all kind of spoken for. You cannot take care of them. And there's, there's where we kind of lose sight of what we're supposed to do. And when we do kind of go take care of orphans, widows, homeless, all that kind of stuff... I'm just going to say this. It, it, it embarrasses me when we do. Because we just do it. We do it for self-recognition. I see this all the time on Facebook, on social media. Somebody with great clothes, iPhone 13. Is that where we're at? iPhone 13 now? I think we're iPhone 13. Bunch of homeless people in the background and like, serving the home. Like, like what? Like, what, what? Like, you're, like, you're like self-recognition on Facebook. Like, look at how awesome I am that I'm helping or that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do as a Christian, like, I'm awesome. No, stop it. 
Like the whole point of this is to serve Christ. Like do we feel that? Do you get that whole idea? Everything this passage is saying is, is opposite of what we've been taught. It's like it's upside down from what we've grown up doing. And James is saying, stop living that way and start living for Christ. It's not easy. We says it. It's not going to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. You look at all these guys. Laura brought this up yesterday. You look at all these guys. Peter, James, John. They were all weaklings. Like when Jesus was on earth, these guys were not tough dudes. Peter denied him three times. James didn't believe who he was. Like wouldn't believe it, right? What changed that made him so tough? that they would get pushed off a building for their belief in who Jesus was. And there's two things. One, it was the death and resurrection. It was the Holy Spirit. We have that. We have the Holy Spirit here helping us, telling us what to do. And so oftentimes we just ignore it. Why? Because our neighbors say we should. Because stuff tells us it's more fun right here, right now, to have that stuff. But what's the end game? What are we focused on? Are we so horizontally minded that the verticalness of who Jesus is, who God is, leaves us? And like, if every person in this room right here, let's just do both services together. If we were all together and brought all of our stuff together, every penny, every house, everything would be about this much, a glimpse of what Jesus actually had when he was in heaven. He had it all. Think of the best movie with the biggest castle not even close to what Jesus lived in. Not even close to what Jesus had, the glory and the beauty at which he lived in heaven. And what did he do? He left it all behind. He left it all to come to earth, right? For you, for me, for those who would repent and believe in him. He left it all. And he lived a life like, it wasn't a good life. Like, it wasn't fun. People hated him. They were constantly trying to kill him. They were constantly trying to trap him in his words and make fun of him and, and, and take his, take, discredit him nonstop. At best, at best, Jesus had like two days of glory. Remember like when he's going into Jerusalem on the donkey and they were, right, Hosanna, Hosanna, the highest? Two days. And then back to people hating me. And it's not easy because if, like, it wasn't easy for Jesus. Remember when he was in the garden and he was praying to God? Like, if there's any other way Take this cup, not my will, but yours be done. It wasn't easy for him. It's not going to be easy for us. It's not a popular saying. It's not a popular sermon. I feel like I did say this to Laura. I feel like the last three sermons that they kind of scheduled me for all say the same thing in different verses. Stop living for the world and start living for Jesus. Because there's people out there that don't know him. And if we like, live like them, if there's no line in the sand that we're different, and that's another reason I like James. He says it plain as day. You are to be different. You are to live a different life. As followers of Jesus, it is supposed to look different. It is supposed to feel different. They're supposed to tell that you're not like them. But yet, man, that line just gets a little grayer and grayer and grayer every day, doesn't it? Why? Because we, we're so focused on the here and the now. Our stuff, we're not focused on Jesus. And after he left the garden, goes and hangs on the cross, dies, right? Three days later to be raised again. For you, for me, for us, for those who would believe in him. 
And so if you're that Christian, like if you're the mature Christian that like, hey, here's the deal, like I got a lot of stuff, I got a lot of great stuff, and, and it's difficult. It's time to put that aside. If the Holy Spirit is telling you, listen, it's time to live a different life. And I don't know what that means. I don't. Everyone's different. Does it mean sell your massive house and two beautiful cars and all the other stuff, right? Is that what that means? I don't know what that means for you. But what I do know, if, it, if that's what you're pursuing as a mature Christian, like you are faltering. You are letting the world start dictating what we do as Christians. And I, again, not saying that a big house is wrong. I'm not saying that fully loaded whatever kind of cars is wrong. But what I am saying is that's all that you're focused on. And don't lie to yourselves. I'm not, I'll lie to myself all the time. Oh, God wants me to have that new truck. It's only $88,000. That's what trucks cost, by the way. That's crazy. I can't imagine that. I don't know how people afford them. But literally, like, I could, I could, I could lie to myself. Yep, that new Corvette. Mm-hmm. I actually showed one to Laura. Showed her, she's like, that's a great car. I'm like, yeah, isn't it? And she goes, how much is it? And I think I got to, like, the first digit, and she just walked away. Because <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm never going to have one, <laughs> right? Like, she just, like, just, just walks away from it. Like, you're not even going to hear the last six digits after that, right? Because it's not just the base model. I can't have that. But if that's what we're pursuing, like, how embarrassing for us. We have to start pursuing Christ all the time. If you're not a Christian, like, if you've never had that talk with yourself, if this is you, where you're, hey, I get what you're saying, Dave. Like, I get it. But, like, man, I just don't know who this Jesus is. This is the day. This is the moment where you hear that he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to believe in him. Repent believe. Today is the moment where you can do that. Vince is here. Lorraine here. There's some elders all around. If you need to talk to somebody, this is that moment. Don't let another day go by where you don't get to enjoy not having stuff and yet still enjoying life. Where you get to enjoy having stuff and still be in Christ. Right? That's who we need to be as a church. And church, like, I want you to hear me. Like, there is a group of us that are leaders here that are gonna push and push against those ideas of the world. We will never let it go. We are to live a life of humility for Christ. They need to be able to tell the difference between the world and us. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Holy Heavenly Father, we are so humbled, Lord, right now. God, we just pray, if there's people here that need to know who you are, we pray that they don't leave without speaking with somebody. And they don't even have to speak with somebody. God, if they just pray to you, that you'll forgive them, that they'll believe in who you are, God. God, we pray that as we go out in the world this week, that they will be able to tell that we are your children, that we love you, that we follow you, that you are our Lord and Savior, God. And if there's people here that, that just have stuff that need to get rid of so that they can serve you more, God, I pray that they don't grieve the Holy Spirit that way, that they just go and do it and live a life that just looks awesome for you. God, that they can boast in you and not in their stuff. God, we pray for that this morning. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.